Hello, hello. Am I on? Yep. Here we are. Cool. What's up? Everybody doing good? Yeah. Gabe's not here, so we can make fun of him all we want. <laughs> so, CrossFit is stupid and his beard is unimpressive. <laughs> um, you guys doing all right? Yes. <laughs> he's going to be listening to the podcast anyway, so he's, he's going to know that I'm going to say that. And now I'm fired. Yeah, so anyway, this will be my first and last time preaching on this. Um, it's summertime, and I think now we can all, we're like officially on the same plane, right? It is summer for everybody here, so we can all kind of take a deep breath in and relax. Everyone feeling it yet? Um, I know for me, I feel like as I get older, summer becomes less and less of a big deal. Like, honestly, I have more to do, and it's just hotter outside. Um, but uh, historically, summer is a time for all of us to kind of stop, slow down just a little bit, uh, maybe take some time for ourselves, go on vacations, be with our family. And then I would say most importantly, uh, it's a time for us to reflect, right? Uh, generally, it's a time for us to kind of look back on how the year was, things that we did, things that we liked, that we didn't like, that went well, where we got stuck, and then to start to kind of prepare ourselves for how are we going to change uh, moving on to the next year. Like for me, January is not a new year, right? August is. August is when the new year starts. That's school, that's work, that's everything where it picks back up again. And so summertime is kind of that break where we get to shift gears a little bit and prepare ourselves for the next year. Uh, and so we want to do that corporately as a church as well to kind of stop. Things are slowing down. You know, we've moved in this room. Uh, we've kind of made setup a little bit easier. Uh, we'll be doing, uh, you know, like more back like we did last year with the Sunday fun days uh, and just overall kind of stop. And then we also want to reflect. So for those of you guys that have been with us throughout the year, we know that we've been in Luke for like two years now. Um, I think we're set to finish. If I remember correctly, like the way that it's pacing itself out, we'll be finished sometime around next Easter. So Easter of 2019 in April, May, whenever that is. Uh, but for the summertime, we're going to take a little break from it, okay? So you can pull that bookmark out of Luke and revisit it in August. And instead, um, throughout the summer, we're going to be doing a couple of, you know, just short little mini-series. I say mini-series. They're all going to be like a month or so long, but compared to two and a half years, everything seems like a mini-series. Um, and so that's what we're going to be doing, uh, looking at something a little new. Uh, so this one is actually celebrating spiritual disciplines, uh, and I have kind of the unique opportunity to introduce that. So next week is my man DJ Rich. Where's he at? Dylan here? Yes. <laughs> so Dylan will be speaking next week, and I'm super excited because I would pay money just to hear him read a phone book. Um, and then, <laughs> honestly, it puts, it puts me to sleep. It lulls me. <laughs> like a... <laughs> Like a mother's arms. <laughs> Just, uh, and then after that, Carlton or whoever's speaking to. That's not important. Um, so yeah, so this week uh, we're going to be looking at uh, celebrating spiritual disciplines, opening up that, and we'll be talking about it for the next three weeks. And already, just from the title, Celebrating Spiritual Disciplines, uh, I feel like I have some explaining to do, right? Because generally, those two words are kind of in contention with each other. They don't really make a lot of sense next to each other. When I say words like celebrate or celebration, we think cake time, yay, and ice cream and slumber party, happy things, right? Uh, people getting together with friends, they're good times. Uh, but when you compare that to a word like discipline, discipline usually has some negative connotations, right? It's not as much of a happy word. I know for me, when I think of the word discipline, I usually think about it as a verb. 
Um, so like when a child does something bad, it has to be disciplined, right? So disciplines are punishment. A discipline is, is something negative that you put on someone, okay, in order to teach them a lesson so they don't do something wrong. Uh, I know a lot of us too, probably when we think of the word discipline, we think of it as an adjective. So when a person is disciplined, you know, for me, when I think of that, uh, I think of, you know, like that soulless type A personality, that military no fun guy who like, all I do were push-ups and all I eat are apple skins, you know, that type of person. Um, <laughs> and so when we think of, yeah, the <laughs> um, they're out there, they're strange, they're bad people, okay. Um, but discipline usually is something that is associated with negative feelings. So especially when we talk about it in a spiritual context, when I say to think of a person who is spiritually disciplined, a lot of us probably have a very similar person in mind. Uh, we think of probably good things at first, right? Um, you know, someone who's reading their Bible every day, someone who spends a lot of time in prayer, who is constantly involved in something that's going on with the church, someone who just has their hands in all of the pots, right? Um, they're helping the homeless. They're helping with children. They uh, take care of the widows and the orphans. They dress like Ned Flanders, and he didn't hold his wife's hand until they were married. That person, right? Uh, and then usually, immediately afterwards, though, too, once we think of all of those those disciplines, that, that spiritually disciplined person. I don't know about you, um, but I think if we were honest with ourselves, the next thing was we would start to write that person off. Um, we would probably use words like legalism or compare them to people like the Pharisees, um, because really all of the examples we have of disciplined people in the Bible, at least it's a lot of what we're taught, is they're compared to those Pharisees, right? They, they were disciplined people. They were the most disciplined people in all of Israel at the time, but they were also legalistic. And I don't want to be like that, so I'm going to push away from that. Um, and so I know a lot of our, of our ideas about discipline, uh, we, we begin to start pushing away because we know that there are these two extremes that exist, right? Um, if those of you guys that have been in missional communities, you know, we've been going through life shapes and kind of imagine the pendulum at this point, right? We have work, we have rest, we have uh, pruning and abiding. And so we know that the pendulum can swing to this one extreme and that is the legalist, the, the Pharisee, um, the person who views Christianity as a, as a bunch of boxes that have to be checked off, right? If I go to a hundred Bible studies, and if I memorize a thousand scriptures, then I'm not going to heaven, I'm going to super heaven, right? And because I'm doing more of those things than you are, then that means that I am holier than you. Because that extreme, the legalist, uh, would say that somehow that my actions are, are what are making me holy, right? That my actions are what lead to my salvation. Um, and so therefore, you know, that's like kind of the whole point of legalism, is that I'm not exalting God, I'm exalting myself. My actions bring me to heaven, all right? It's not through the power of Christ, it's not through his grace, and so therefore I'm exalting myself with what I do. That's that one extreme. And honestly, I think that here at the branch, that that is one thing that we have pushed very hard against. That's one thing that I know uh, a lot of, like, when this church kind of first got started, a lot of us came from a place where we had seen that, we were all tired, we were all burned out, we are all sick of that, you know, like, I know for me, I was almost done with the church. You know, I, it was almost like the branch was that one last chance. And the moment I hear anything that sounds like that deuces, I'm out. I'm not doing it. Um, and so I know that a lot of us, you know, I think Kyle and, and Matt and Gabe would all be in the, in the same era of saying that when we started the branch uh, and, and first started looking at all this stuff, that that's one thing that we were going to push aside. And we have to be careful, though, 
Because as bad as that extreme is, there is another one, okay? As the pendulum swings to the other side. Um, and the best way I can describe that extreme is I remember, some of you guys kind of know my story, you know where I come from and my background. And so my friends growing up and being in school were always the drama kids. Uh, my people were the theater geeks. And if there's one thing you gotta know about them is that we throw one heck of a party. Uh, and so most of my middle and high school years were spent as the Christian kid at the party, right? In places I probably really shouldn't have been. I had a Coke in a solo, in a red solo cup, just so I kind of fit in. It was that kind of thing. Um, and I remember, it was like two or three o'clock in the morning, and there was this guy, he'd obviously had a little too much to drink, and somehow religion got brought up. And I remember him saying to me, and he said like, no, I'm not a Christian, I have no intention of being one, I don't wanna be one, but don't worry about me, I'm going to the same heaven you are. And I remember thinking to myself, like, and I, and I asked him, I was like, you seem awfully proud of yourself. You know what I mean? You seem uh, pretty sure. Uh, what makes you so sure of yourself? And I remember he told me in all confidence, said that, well, I know that Jesus has paid the price for all sins, that grace extends to everyone, uh, that his love endures forever. He's forgiven all sins, that nothing is beyond redemption. And so honestly, just the moment I know I'm going to die, I'm just going to accept Jesus as my personal Savior. And, you know, bada bing, bada boom, I'm done. He didn't say bada bing, bada boom, but the rest of it he actually said. Um, and I think that when we hear that, we can hear how ludicrous that sounds. That, you know, when I say it out loud, we all say, well, that's not me, that's ridiculous. It reminds me of uh, like what Paul says in Romans, like let us do evil so that good may come. For those people, their condemnation is just. We can see that. But a lot of times, if we're not careful in our attempt to avoid one extreme, our actions will begin to show the other. Um, because if we think about it, you know, especially when we use terms like legalism, uh, how many of us are, um, can actually say that when something has gotten hard, uh, when something gets difficult, when something makes us uncomfortable, and we begin to push our boundaries when it comes to expanding the kingdom of God, that we use excuses like, well, my heart just wasn't in it, so I felt like I was doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, and I don't want to be legalistic. I, I just feel like, man, I'm not really doing anything for the kingdom right now, that I'm not getting fed. And so for that reason, I don't want to be legalistic. I'm going to move away from that. And the problem with that is, is that the alternative is to do nothing, right? The alternative at that point is to literally not expand the kingdom of God. And we're using grace as an excuse at that point. Um, what separates us, honestly, from the guy at the party? Uh, saying, well, I'm going to do nothing. I realize that I have no intention of being a Christian at all, but I recognize that Jesus is my Savior, that his love endures forever, that he, you know, the cross paid for all sins. So at the last minute, you know, boom, I'm covered and I'm good. Um, and so what we're really going to be talking about for the next three or four weeks, the celebrating spiritual discipline, is looking at the Bible and trying to honestly see what has Jesus said, what does God tell us about discipline? Um, what are maybe the positive aspects of discipline? What is the role of discipline in our life? And if we look at just, you know, all aspects of our life, I think that we can see some of it really in all areas. Um, kind of this relationship exists where that discipline leads to freedom and that freedom leads to joy. Um, we all think about Jesus and the Great Commission. I know that all of us could probably quote it. Um, that Right before the ascension, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples, right? And hopefully we've all kind of sat there and thought of what's the key word there? Like there's only a few letters off from disciple and discipline. Um, and so that relationship, that discipline leads to freedom and that freedom leads to joy. A few examples of that are think about your finances, right? 
if you are disciplined in your finances, if you are disciplined in saving money, if you are disciplined in setting things aside for harder times, um, for you know, putting money into retirement or making those kind of healthy choices when it comes to your money, being frugal, not just spending wildly just because you have it, then later on in life, you will have financial independence. You will have financial freedom, right? Um, and that that financial freedom will lead to celebration and joy. Money can't buy happiness, but you sure feel sad when you're broke right? <laughs> it sucks. Um, with our health, the same idea. If you are disciplined in your health choices, okay, if you're the type of person that works out every day, that makes healthy choices in your food and overall in your lifestyle, then later on in life that will lead to freedom from disease, freedom from health problems, okay, freedom from a lot of the issues that would plague you had you not made those choices, had you not been disciplined, and that eventually that, that freedom will lead to celebration and joy in a long and healthy life. And so it makes sense for us then uh, to apply this to our spiritual walk, to our walk with God, that if we are disciplined in our relationship with God, that if we uh, practice these spiritual disciplines, that that will lead to freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from temptation, okay? that we will experience then a deeper relationship with God, and that that freedom will lead to celebration and joy, not just in this life, but in the next as well. And so, Kind of without further ado, all right, um, the first discipline that we're going to be looking at is confession, specifically corporate confession. Um, before we do that, if we'll just bow our heads, let's pray really quick and then move on. Dear God, thank you for you. Um, thank you for who you are. Thank you for bringing us together, for giving us a reason to be together. Um, no other God, no other entity God would be worthy of your praise, would be worthy of the time of us gathering together like this, God. But I thank you um, that you have paid the ultimate price, that you know all things, that you have all things in your hand. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes, um, that we would receive you, um, that we would hear you and what you have to say for us. Bring us closer as a congregation, God, um, but then ultimately, most importantly, bring us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so, uh, for those of you guys, some of you have known me for a really long time, for a few years. Um, for those of you that don't, before uh, I was on staff here and had like a million, like literally like a million other jobs, uh, one of the jobs that I had for a while was I worked at a place called the Futures Program. And what the Futures Program is, is uh, it's what's called a GNET school. Uh, it's for special needs students. And what separates this school from other special needs programs at other schools is that we specialized in kids with severe emotional behavioral disorder. So all the kids were there uh, were there because they had some sort of intensive behavioral problem. And I have a million different stories about things that happened there. You can kind of imagine. Easiest way to sum it all together is that in the two years that I worked at the Futures program, on two separate occasions, I had to leave work and I had to immediately go to an urgent care for injuries sustained by elementary schoolers. Um, and I probably could have gone a couple of other times, but I was just stubborn. Uh, so one time I was bitten and it broke the skin pretty badly, so I had to go get a tetanus shot. And then another time I was almost positive that a second grader had broken my wrist. Um, but yeah, it was fun times had by all, right? Um, and when I was at the Futures program, if you had asked me about my job, if you had asked me about the experiences that I had, I would talk for hours about it. 
Um, I, I, I loved uh, talking about the education system. I loved talking about being a teacher. I was hired first as a counselor, uh, and then the next year I became a teacher there. Uh, I would talk to you about how my job was going. I would love to tell you how, you know, I was good at my job. My first year there, um, I was voted support staff of the year. I was nominated for something called the Philip Wright Award um, for what I had done in special ed. Um, they offered me a promotion to be a teacher, set me up so that I could um, go into a program where I could go ahead and start receiving teacher, teacher benefits. Um, my first year teaching, they were offering to let me um, hold workshops on how to hold an IEP meeting. I was proud of myself uh, and of where I was as being a teacher. I liked saying that I was a teacher and I liked talking about it. Some of the things that I probably wouldn't have told you about though um, is how I had nightmares about that job every single night. How it was pretty normal. I mean, on an almost daily basis, I would ask a teacher to come and watch my room and I would tell them that it was because I had to go to the bathroom. But what I was actually doing was I was going into a stall and I was just letting myself have a panic attack for a couple minutes. I'd let my body convulse, I would cry a little bit, I'd hyperventilate, my chest would get tight, and then I'd pull myself together and go back in the classes if nothing happened. Um, I probably wouldn't tell you about how sometimes I put my finger down my throat so that I would throw up, just so I didn't feel like I was lying when I called in sick to work. I wouldn't tell you about how I thought my boss was the devil in an ugly pantsuit. It was horrible. <laughs> uh, and just in general, how I hated going to work every single day for about a solid year. I dreaded that place, did not want to go in. It was horrible. Um, and honestly, it wasn't until um, I was sitting in a swing set while my kids were uh, at PE and I was praying, because uh, you had to <laughs> in that place, and I was asking and I was praying and I was saying, God, how am I going to handle this for the rest of forever? <laughs> how am I going to do this? And uh, it, you know, it, it must have been God speaking through me. It must have been God speaking to me. It wasn't like it was an audible voice, but I just suddenly got the feeling of just asking the question, why do you have to do this forever? Like maybe it's okay to allow yourself to do something else. Um, and the reason that I talk about that when it comes to confession is that a lot of us, when I say the word confession, just close your eyes for a second, what do you see? I bet you if we were to do a show of hands, okay, at least half of the room would imagine themselves walking to a booth and saying, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been two weeks since my last confessional, right? When we hear the word confession, we kind of think of the whole like Catholic mindset. It's like a sacrament. It's something where you say, I have sinned. Forgive me. Tell me how many Hail Marys I have to do, and then we move on. Uh, and what I would like for us to look at and what I'd like for us to begin uh, reading about is how confession is so much more. And so go back to uh, my experience with the Futures program. Uh, it wasn't necessarily that I did anything wrong with that, um, but the moment that I allowed myself to feel something different, the moment that I allowed myself to be honest about my job and about just where I was with my life, where I was with my relationship with God, where I was with my family, just my overall health, the amount of freedom that I felt from that uh, is something I don't even know that I can express. And then being able to go home like that day, talk to my wife, how was work, honey? It was good. I think I'm going to quit today. <laughs> like, I'm going to go write my two weeks notice. Or I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit. And then it was like a week or so later that I spoke to Gabe about joining staff here, and I've been here ever since. And like, yeah, I've had like literally 20 jobs, I think, since that, trying to figure out what else I'm going to do. But I am definitely happier just not to be in that place anymore. Confession is not just sin. Yes, it is. 
Yes, it is, but it is so much more than just saying, hey, I did something wrong, do you forgive me? Confession is about expressing the totality of our relationship with God. It is about being honest about where we are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think what's even another thing, too, that we'll get in later um, is that something that was equally as important for me in that story was not just accepting it to myself, but then also telling it to other people and hearing what they had to say to me as well. Um, because I'll be honest, I felt like a failure at that point. You know, I, I told you, like, I thought that I was good at my job. I had kind of in my mind accepted, I am a teacher. That's who I am. That's me. You know, my name is Ricky Teacher Bowers. Uh, and so it felt like I was a failure to, to say that I can't, I can't do it. I can't deal with it anymore. And I needed uh, my wife. I needed my friends. I needed the people that were close to me at that point to pour into me, to tell me what they saw, uh, to give a, a different side of my experience and what I was going through, to hear their stories as well, to be able to accept and just to hear from other people that, that I wasn't a failure, that it was okay, that it, you know, there was nothing wrong with me moving on with my life and accepting something different. Um, and I think that this whole, um, what we're talking about, this whole experience is, is best described through the book of Psalms. Um, and so we're gonna, that's where we're going to be today. If you want to go ahead and kind of sort of start flipping there, we're going to be in Psalms. Uh, and that's a book that a lot of people read from. I don't think a lot of people teach from. Um, book of Psalms is something, I mean, you know, show of hands, how many people have read something in the book of Psalms? We're familiar with it. Okay, if I were to ask you, quote a Psalm, you probably could, right? Um, if I were to ask us, what is the book of Psalms? Where does it come from? What's it about? Um, a lot of us would probably say, like, it's a book of poems, right? You know, it's something with songs or something like that. Most of them were written by David, and they all talk about how cool God is, how awesome he is, and how special he makes our heart, you know, feel and warm and tingly inside. And kind of, sort of, not really. Um, we know the famous Psalms, if I, you know, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for thee, right? Um, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God art with me. You know, we all know a lot of kind of those famous Psalms. Um, but what the book is actually about, and just, a, just kind of a real quick history of it. Yes, a lot of them were written by David, and uh, some of them were, were written for choirs that were in the temple. Um, but the book of Psalms was actually not written as a song book, and it definitely is not all written by David. He wrote about half of them. The other half were by a bunch of other different people. Um, they are a collection of, of poems, of prayers, yes, of some songs, and just writings from a lot of different people, and it was meant to be more of a prayer book than it was a song book. Um, and what's really cool about Psalms going through it is the, the structure that it has. Um, and so we're not going to be all over the place, and so I'll just kind of quickly go over it. But if you look at Psalms, if you look at even just the last five of them, 146 through 150, it's really cool how they all of them begin and end with the phrase, praise the Lord. Uh, in the original Hebrew, it would have been hallelujah, right? So hallelujah, to give praise to, to exalt, and then yah, the short form of the word Yahweh. So it's all, they begin and end with praise God, um, giving a conclusion, showing us that this is what you're supposed to take away from that book. And then you'll also notice that there are several headings throughout there, book one, book two, book three, book four, and book five. And all of them give a very similar ending. They say something to the effect of this, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. See, already just from that, we can see that these were put here in specific places to help break up ideas and are there for a specific reason. And so um, the people who put together the book of Psalms, this was meant to be kind of uh, what they would call a new Torah. 
supposed to be a new teaching, a book of prayers that was given to the people of Israel to help them to look to where they had been, to what had God done in their past, to remember David, to remember his struggles, to remember how he set up David as a ruler over Israel, um, to remind them of the promises that God had given, show them where they were at, and then to help them to look forward to the future. Okay, although we may be going through exile now, okay, although we may be suffering and dealing with things now, to be forward-looking and to remember how God had promised us that he would set up a new king. All right, we know that king to be the Messiah, to be Jesus Christ. And so, um, also as you're looking through the book of Psalms, you'll see there are two very specific, there's a lot of kinds of Psalms or a lot of like structures within uh, how these are written. Um, so that's where like some of us, we may look at the top and um, see things that we have no idea what they mean, like this is a Mizgah for the director of choir from the sons of Korah, Selah. We've all seen those kind of things. Um, but the two basic types of Psalms that we see are there are Psalms of praise and there are Psalms of lament. And so psalms of praise, those would be the ones that we've probably heard before, that we recognize, right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, right? Um, How great is our God. His love endures forever. Talking about the goodness of God, looking at the good in the world, for praising him for who he is, uh, for the covenant he's made with his people. But then sometimes we get these prayers of lament. And so if you're in the book of Psalms, if you'll turn with me to Psalm 44. Psalm 44. When you have it, shout glory. <laughs> didn't think he'd actually do it. I was joking, but thank you. All right. Um, so here, I'm going to read the whole thing, and so I'm just going to go through it quickly. Follow me. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our fathers. You crushed the peoples. You made our fathers flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land. Nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you, we pushed back our enemies. Through your name, we trample our foe. I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me glory or victory, but you give us victory over their enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. Cool. Now, let's move on to verse 9, and let's see how it shifts. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a penance, gaining nothing from the sale. You made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those among us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their head at us. My disgrace is before me all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me. Because of the enemy who is bent on revenge, all this happened to us, though we had not forgotten you or been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back, our feet had not strayed from your path, but you crushed us and made us haunt for jackals and covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread our hands to foreign gods, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake, we face death all day long and are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. 
redeem us because of your unfailing love. Well, dang, okay? Uh, close your Bibles, let's pray, we're done. Um, yeah, I mean, it just got real. The sons of Korah made it, made it real for us, right? Um, that doesn't sound <laughs> like a lot of other things that we hear in the Bible. That's not something I would give to an unbeliever about how great our God is, right? That doesn't make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. Nowhere in that does it talk about how his love endures forever. Um, I mean, you sold your people for a penance, gaining nothing from the sale. Y you brought us down to the dust, right? That you have brought us to sheep of being slaughtered. There's a lot of blame there. There's a lot of people pointing fingers at God in that. And so I think that a question would be is, why is this even here? Why is this in the Bible for us to read? How does that help me? And how does that lead me towards salvation? And I think that it's important to realize that both of these, but both the Psalms that we read where it talks about how his love endures forever, about how great our God is, um, about how he has made promises to us, how he will never forget us, he will never forsake us, he'll never give us more than we can handle. It's in the exact same Bible that has what we just read. And, and what it's showing for us, what they are trying to say, what the psalmist is pointing out in this, is that our prayers of lament are just as important as our prayers of praise that our doubts, that our concerns, that our anger and frustration with God are just as important, that honesty, that bringing out confession, that coming before you guys and saying, I don't know if God is good, is just as important for our growth spiritually, leading us towards who God really is, as me coming up and talking about, like, I have a praise, church. I just want to tell you, my friend got saved. It's been beautiful. We were sick, but now he's healed. Praise God. Amen. Okay. Um, that when we make these kinds of confessions, uh, that when we are honest with ourselves, this is how we show the grace of God. This is how we express that grace. Um, and this is how we show trust in God in a, in a very kind of strange way. This is how we show that we trust him. If you think about it, if I do not trust that God is good and that he forgives, then I'm gonna do everything that I possibly can to show that I don't need forgiveness, right? It's only if God doesn't forgive that I have to be perfect. If he does forgive, though, if I believe honestly in my heart that if I come before my father and I tell him the wrong that I've done, that he will forgive me, only then can I have the courage to stand up and say, hey, guys, I did something wrong. It's only that when God can handle our anger, when God can handle, handle our doubt, that if we honestly believe that I can come to him with my struggles and that he... Uh, that he empathizes with me, that he will share his love regardless, that his love truly is unconditional. If I believe that, only then do I have the courage to stand up and to show that. And so when we confess corporately the problems that we're having with the Bible, okay, with the questions that we have, with the doubts that we struggle with, with our anger, with our frustration, with our sadness, our anxiety, our fear, only then do we actually show the trust that we have in the Father that we begin to act out and work out that grace, all right? The Bible actually, it teaches us that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and that sometimes that is an exhausting process. Sometimes that doesn't fit like a nice puzzle, okay? Sometimes it looks a lot more abrasive than that. Sometimes it looks a lot more like breaking and then building back up. Um, and, and so with that, I want us to notice something with that psalm that, that basically what they are doing is they are, he, he's confessing three different things. 
And so at this point, I'd like to move on to kind of more of a, of a practical side of it, that as we are confessing, what is it that we are doing? How are we supposed to confess? Because I understand that it's difficult. Um, I, I've heard Gabe say it up here before, that we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with our weaknesses. Um, and a lot of times, again, it looks like breaking down to build back up. And so what are we actually doing with that? I want us to notice that this person, um, this is the sons of Korah, um, he is confessing three things. Number one is his faith. Number two is his frailty. And number three is his fear. So if you guys look in the beginning there, uh, verses one through eight, you see he's kind of giving a history of what he knows. You know, we have heard with our ears, O oh God, our fathers have told us what you did in their days, in the days of long ago. And he begins to go on and say, like, I know that it wasn't the sword that brought them victory. I don't trust in my bow. I don't trust in, in the weapons of my warfare because I know that it was you that brought them victory. He's explaining his faith. Listen, I know that this is real. Okay, before I say anything, I just want you to understand that I, that I trust you, that I do believe in you, that I, that I know that this is who you are. And I think that that's important for us to say is, is what do you actually believe? Um, that when we go to God in anger, that when we go to, uh, to us as a church, when we go in anger, when we are expressing um, struggles that we're having, that we are doing so in faith, that we are standing first and foremost, and I'm saying, listen, church, I know that God is good. I just don't feel it right now. I understand what Jesus has done, okay? I know that I have been forgiven my sins. In my head, I get it. But right now, I'm feeling a lot of shame and I'm feeling a lot of guilt and I just don't feel it. So when we confess, first we confess with our faith. First we say what we know to be true. Then as we move on into verses nine, going through like nine to 14, this is where he says, starts off with that really important word, but, right? And so, uh, you put our adversaries to shame, and God, we make our boast all day long, and we praise your name forever. But, now you have rejected and humbled us. So now he's showing his frailty. So in the same way, I know that God is good, but, and now we're being honest with each other. What is it that you are actually feeling? That's another way to say it is he's not just expressing his frailty, he's expressing his feelings. I know what I believe with my head, but what do I feel in my heart? I'm stressed out, I'm anxious. In this case, he feels as if God has left him. I am frail. I don't see how this is leading uh, to, to your kingdom being expanded. I don't see how this is honoring your name. I don't see how this is protecting us and leading us to the promises that you've made. I just don't get it. I'm frail. If we remember um, the story of the man with Jesus, he said, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Okay, that that's what we're doing in confession. Then lastly, expressing our fear. As we move on to, to um, verses 17 towards the end at 26 there. He said, all this happened to us that we had not forgotten you or been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. And then he starts saying, if, if I had done something wrong, wouldn't God have known it? If I had done something and it, and it was against you, wouldn't you have told us? Wouldn't you have shown this? Wouldn't I understand where my sin is? Is it possible that I could have done something wrong and not even realized it? And then later on expressing, awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. He's saying that I'm afraid that maybe you just left us. And so with me, like going back to the futures program with that, listen, I know that God is good. Um, I know that he has a plan for me. I know that wherever he is leading me, it's eventually to exalt his name uh, and, and to start to minister to people. I know that he has chosen me for this very reason and that wherever I am, it's because God has put me there. But right now, I'm freaking stressed out. 
Um, I'm putting my finger down my throat to throw up so I don't have to go to work. That's not a good thing for me to do. I shouldn't do that. I'm running out of sick days, God. Um, and then going on with my fear, I, I, I'm afraid that maybe I made the wrong choice. I'm afraid that maybe I did something wrong in this and this is somehow some kind of punishment. I'm, I'm afraid even more so that maybe this is where you've led me to be and where I'm supposed to be and I'm just not good enough to do it and I'm gonna have to quit and you had some sort of great plan for me somewhere in this but I'm just not gonna be able to do it and instead you're gonna pass me over. Okay, so you can see that that's coming through an example of, of expressing my faith, my frailty, and then my fear. Um, and so I would encourage you guys with this that uh, as, we, as we move on, okay, as we go throughout our weeks, as you guys are with your DNAs, if you're not in a DNA, get in a DNA. Um, that part of the whole point of a DNA, um, if we look at the chart, right, some of you guys have seen the chart before, DNAs um, is where we confess and nurture sin, right? It, it, the whole point is that we are making confessions publicly. And so that is an excellent place as we meet there this week, okay, Test yourself. Push yourself. What do I actually believe? What do I have faith in? With my faith in, how do I feel? Is it different than what I say I believe? I know that God is good, but do I feel that right now? And if you don't, be honest and just tell somebody. If it is a sin even, like, listen, I know that this is wrong, but this is what I did. And then express your fear from that, okay? Practice those things. Push yourself in that. And then next, okay, that's equally as important. Like I talked about, uh, it wasn't just important for me to open up to people and to say this is where I am and get it out there for myself. It was also just as important for people to speak into me on that. And so half of confession, yes, is yourself giving the confession, but uh, half of this is being a spiritual discipline is also learning and disciplining ourselves to receive confession. What do I do when my brother or sister comes to me like this um, because and sometimes it can be kind of shell-shocked right someone comes to you and drops a bomb on you and then they look at you like what am I supposed to do I'm like I don't know you kind of you screwed the pooch on that one I don't know, I don't know what to tell you um, but if we look at um, you don't have to turn there at all but um, John chapters 20 through 23 and as I turn there really quick um, you can see that Jesus is speaking to his disciples and it says that Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That Jesus has called us as believers. He has given us the ability to forgive the sins of others. To literally to stand in for him in that moment. And that is something that has been given to us strictly through his grace. And if that is a gift from God, then how dare us deny that to other people? Diedrich Bonhoeffer has a quote where he says that when I go to my brother in confession, I go to God. And so I would also urge us as brothers and sisters in this, that when we receive a confession, that number one, we recognize who we are, right? We realize that, okay, five minutes ago, I gave a confession. All right, so let's take it off. Let's take me off the pedestal and bring me down. Okay, I just told you how I did something horrible and my week was awful and that I am, you know, the devil dressed in flannel. So it's not like I'm any better at all. We recognize what we did to put Jesus on the cross. Then we can listen to the sins of others, okay, uh, and, and hold them separate and not look at us as being any better at all. But realize that at that point that we are standing in for Christ, that they are confessing to us as a body of believers in the same way that they would be confessing to Jesus. And at that point, it is our job to act as Christ would act. If this person came to you and gave 
this deep secret, gave something that was very difficult to them, how would Jesus respond in that? Probably wouldn't say, wow, man, you screwed the pooch on that one, okay? Um, That it is our job then to express forgiveness, to speak life into them, to show them how God has a plan for them, to express that unconditional love that Christ has called us to show, to know then that, you know, that Jesus has has given us that grace and being able to set others free from their sins. And that that is honestly a discipline. Uh, that is something that we now have the ability then, that, that with this, that if we can practice confession, being honest both with ourselves and with others, if we can step down off of our pedestals, be real with our frailties, with our fears, where we are doubting, where we are angry, where we are afraid and scared and anxious, that that begins then to show us, um, to discipline us into trusting God and to knowing that I am coming and I am opening this up to you because I honestly believe that he will forgive me, because I honestly believe that his love is unconditional. And with that, now I am encouraged to stand before the throne of God, right? To come to my brothers, to have no shame, right? To have no pride in that sense. But then also in disciplining us to receive that too, that every time I hear the sins of others, that I am thinking to myself, how would Jesus respond to this? And I am practicing, again, that same kind of forgiveness, that same kind of unconditional love, that if we can learn to do this as a church, if it becomes second nature, imagine just for a second the kind of freedom that that would lead to. Okay, imagine a place where I could do something wrong, and I could tell you just second nature, like, hey, by the way, I did this, uh, and, and know that I have the forgiveness, know that I have the love and the encouragement of my church body, and of my God, that there is no question of that in my mind, that we wouldn't be an Adam and Eve situation where we're sinning and hiding, okay? The growth that that would bring, the transparency that that would bring, the overall freedom from shame, from guilt, okay? Um, From the backbiting that happens in churches. And that that initially, that that would then lead to celebration and joy, that we would be able to lower our walls, to grow together as a church, trusting each other that I honestly have you in mind, that I honestly am am helping you to grow, that when you fall, I am the person that is there to pick you back up with that. Um, So, to you guys, okay, practice frailty, okay, faith, frailty, and fear. If you're not in a DNA, why? Okay, <laughs> ask yourself that. Um, if you're asking, what in the world is a DNA? We'll get in a missional community. And if you're not in a missional community, why? Um, and if you're not, if you're asking what that is too, then I guess come on Sunday uh, <laughs> to get that first. But uh, be involved with people, okay? Um, we can't do this without other people. Um, begin to see that. Begin to think about these disciplines practicing with your life, understanding then that discipline leads to freedom and that that freedom leads to joy. Um, we're going to move on in just a second to communion. I'm going to pray us closed uh, and then we'll, we'll go on into communion with that. Um, communion is something that we consider to be a sacrament. Uh, it is also in that sense you could say a discipline, something that we have to practice every week, something that we remind ourselves of every week because of its importance, because of its symbolism. Okay, there's, there's nothing magical, you know, it's, it's bread from Walmart, okay, and juice from also Walmart, <laughs> I think. Um, but what it symbolizes uh, is the the sacrifice that Jesus made to us and who we are 
as Christians. So as I am breaking that bread, okay, as I am drinking the juice that's there, that that is literally, that it represents the body that Christ broke, the provision that he gave for us on the cross, the blood of the new covenant, saying that he has forgiven our sins, that he is not only our savior, but he is also our Lord, that he overcame death, hell, and the grave. And by eating that, we're making it a part of ourself. We are taking that in. We are accepting the provision. We are accepting, okay, uh, his new covenant for us and making it a part of who we are. Um, and so, this is something for us to do. Please go to it in reverence. Um, please approach it uh, for the importance that it is. If you are here today and you are not a believer, I would pray that you would ask, I would ask you guys, that you would also take it just as seriously as we do, that you would also be reverent. Um, and by that, what I mean is that if those symbols do not apply to you yet, if you are not a believer, then, you know, I, I think you guys would accept it as well. That means you haven't accepted the provision. That means you haven't accepted that new covenant. They're not something that has been important to you or something that you have believed in or something that you've thought about lately. And so if you would use this time then um, to abstain from communion and instead to ask questions, to go in prayer, um, to even just look around and to reflect uh, what brought you here today, um, what's led you to this point? Uh, do you feel God calling on you? Um, if you're led to pray, awesome, great. If you have questions about what this means or anything that we've said, um, you know, we have elders, we have staff, we have people who have been here forever. Find someone, right? Talk to them. Um, express your confession at this point. You know, um, what is it that you're thinking? What's going through your head? Um, but for everyone here, that this is a, a sacred time, that this is something that is important, um, and that we will move forward uh, as such. So if you'll bow your head, pray with me, and we'll move on. Dear God, thank you um, for your word. Thank you for showing us this. Um, thank you for all that you have ordained. Um, that these disciplines, although hard, that... Um, what you have called us to, although difficult, um, is for the exaltation of your name and for the good of our own spirit, um, that you are leading us to freedom and that that freedom will lead to joy, to everlasting life. Um, I pray today, God, that we would not leave the same as when we came in, that we would ever be transformed by you, um, that we would realize that your salvation, yes, it was an instantaneous decision that we made to accept you as Savior, but it is also an ongoing process where we make you our Lord um, and put everything under your Lordship, God. Um, I pray that you would guide us through that, open our hearts as we go into communion, um, that we would be able to respond to you, to your love, um, to your sacrifice, to your strength and power. And in all of that, Lord, uh, it is, is in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.